Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. And yes, we are back to winning ways, and boy does it feel good. But that's not the only thing that's making this Saturday as lovely as ever, because we're in the presence of a man who's not only responsible for getting me into my first Chelsea match, but we finally have someone on the pod that hates Spurs more than I do, if not more than anyone else on the planet. If you don't believe me, just check out his Twitter feed. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome my good friend, Mr. Dan Silver. Dan, how are you doing? Yeah, Vega, thanks for having me on, guys. I, I think, you know, I think I hate Tottenham as much as I hate Liverpool. So, you know, Tottenham, you the, scouts of the, Tottenham the scouts of the South. <laughs> Andres, how are you doing, bud? Man, I was expecting my rap sheet to be spelled out like Dan's, too. What's going on here? Hey, I, I introduced you as the Venezuelan powerhouse a couple times on our podcast, haven't I? Fair enough, fair enough. I'm doing great, guys. Uh, the, this performance this morning definitely makes things better, at least uh, not as bad a taste in my mouth after this week. Oh, yeah, ditto. So um, before we get into the Huddersfield match, because we are uh, recording just a few hours after the match, Dan actually just got back from it. So I do want to dive into this Bournemouth match uh, from Wednesday. So before we get do into we, that... Do we have to? Oh, unfortunately... Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's important to have some scope, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to repeat the scoreline because none of us want to be reminded of it, but I'll go through the lineup. So we had Keppa in goal, uh, Dave on the right, Emerson on the left, Rudiger and David Luiz in the middle uh, with Jorginho playing at the base of midfield, Conte and Kovacic just ahead of him, Hazard Pedro out on the flanks, and Iguain up top. So, I mean, I guess it goes without saying that this is arguably our worst performance of the whole entire season. Um, and a lot of criticism headed Sari's way, as as he explained uh, post-match, that the team has motivational issues. And this is not the first time that he's brought this up. And the first time he brought it up, it was a little bit more, uh, it, I don't want to say, it was, it was a lot more direct, right? He brought the Italian uh, translator. He spoke in Italian because he wanted his players to get his message completely clearly. And this time around... He seemed a little bit more baffled, a little bit more confused. So, uh, Dan, I, I want to start with you. What, what did you make of his post-match press conference? It's um, it's it's weird because I think I don't know whether someone's lost in translation because whether he fully understands, you know, the kind of the, the English term of motivation, whether he means sort of he means by that sort of how he coaches the players and how they're very difficult to coach. Because mm. you you look at that squad and there's some serial winners in there. You've got players who won sort of you know two league titles, FA Cups, you know, domestic trophies with Shakhtar. So it's a very good team. So I don't know, I don't know whether there's, there's something in translation that doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, to be honest, I mean, it was worst performance I've seen in a very long time. I mean, let alone this season. I mean, mm-hmm. to get beat 4-0 by Bournemouth is, is, is not good. And, and anyone's, you know, bearing men where we are and where we've been, we've set the bar so high. You know, since since Rome and since really since '97, and to have those kind of results, you know, our worst defeat since 1996, we got beat 5-1 by Liverpool. It, sh- it shows, you know, the you know the bar Chelsea have set has been so so high. So it was it was, it was a real shock because I was um, I didn't go to the match. I was watching it on um, on TV and I was like, oh one nil, okay, that's fine. We kind of capitulated. As soon as the second goal went in, it always became like every man for himself and the whole Sarri plan went out the window and then we got a third goal, there was a fourth goal and it was it was catastrophe. It's, it's, it's very difficult because I think you look at sort of, you know, the way Chelsea have been in the past, they've always been, you know, taken on <clears throat> excuse me, winners. You've had like Jose twice, Carlo, 
you know, Conte, even Scolari won a World Cup. So all these players are winners. So maybe it's the fact that his coaching winners, and the fact Sorry's actually never won anything, and as some people said, he's a glorified bank manager. Maybe it's very, they find it very difficult to kind of comprehend his his methods and his the way he coaches because he hasn't won anything, and he can't tell and say, you know, actually I won three leagues, I've won two cups, I've done this, I've done that. So maybe there's a degree of you know he hasn't got the respect he should be getting from the players. That's just my my kind of feelings. I mean, he. We, we talk about the motivational issues being one thing, and then you alluded to the whole trophy count in Mauricio Sarri. Now, I know this is a this is a big talking point, especially on Chelsea Twitter now, but do you think that the players are possibly having motivational issues because they know that the league is out of reach? I mean, I know they're still fighting for top four, but you have, I mean, you, you have guys like Eden Hazard who obviously might not be here next year. We really don't know what the heck is happening with him. Um, and, and a couple of the other players on our squad that have won trophies with Chelsea before, is it more a matter of, or or it could be a little bit of both, but I'm getting the sense that maybe these players know that there's nothing really to fight for in terms of the league. Maybe it's a little too far out of reach at this point. And, and to prove that, I mean, you just look back at our performance against Spurs in the second leg of the Carabao Cup. Even the first leg at Wembley, we played quite well, mm-hmm. considering that we didn't have a natural striker out there. So, Andres, what do you think about that? I didn't even think about that. The fact that just before Bournemouth, we had two pretty good performances in the Spurs game and then the um, Sheffield game. So that that might be a good point. I think that some of, some of our players do like to ride the wave. Like, you know, they get the, the winning streak high and at those points they feel in, invincible. But then the moment something goes poorly, that's when, you know, maybe things get shaken up a bit. But but specifically to this game, my issue was more about how they weren't how they were acting once we got to essentially Bournemouth's park, parked bus, like right around the 18. At that point, I just felt like everyone's brain shut down and and, you know, everyone then is trying to do something. So next thing you know, t- nine of our 11 players are in front of the ball. And yeah, the numbers game from there is easy counterattacks. So I. Uh, I don't know. I, Motivation-wise, I agree with Dan. These guys should not be lacking the motivation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Luis won the Champions League with Chelsea in a year where we, sh- we should have never been, according to everyone mm-hmm. else, there. So uh, fighting against the odds should come natural to some of these players, and, and voicing that is the next step. I feel like these guys have the what it takes to probably be leaders. They just need to come out of their shell a bit. We've we've known Sorry to be very honest in press conferences, um, and that's one of the things I love about him. But could he be possibly sending a message to the board? Look, we we had two top class managers come through the door in Jose and Conte in recent years with with a very similar squad, if not the same exact squad, and both of them were able to achieve some sort of success. But then the wheels fall off at some point. So maybe there is some sort of motivational issue, Dan. I, I'm curious. I mean, do you think or do you get the sense that Sari is trying to send a message to the board? Because he's not a stupid man. Everything he does does seem pretty calculated. I mean, he's, he's always said that he doesn't care about transfers and he wants to work with the players he's got. Um, mm-hmm. And Chelsea have gone against their grain by giving him Higawin because obviously he's a, he's a wrong age, albeit it's, it's a loan move. They've given the player he wants who's the wrong side of 30. I mean, I mean, we can have a whole podcast about how flawed Chelsea have been. You know, because, you know, when Abramovich came on the scene, we were just like, we were just battering everyone. I mean, the transfer market on the pitch. We had a team of international captains. We had teams of leaders. And now, you know, 
after John Terry went in Conte's first season, I think that the kind of heart of Chelsea was gone. Yeah. Because there's no one Asian, you know, on the sideline. You know, we're, we're, you know, you look at Michael Ballack, for example, you know, he's like a die in the wall German international and he loves Chelsea. I mean, you look at all the players that have come, come and gone. Joe Cole, he talks about us, all these wonderful he- players we've had. They all talk about us as an incredible club. You look at the squad now, we haven't got any leaders. I mean, you look from, from Kepa down to Higoin, there's no leaders. There's no, there's no one there who's going to come, you know, when you're two down at half-time to Bournemouth, who's going to come and, you know, shout and, you know, get, get, get the team going. There's no one out there. We're just, I think our, um, Graham Sooness was on um, Sky in the UK last season talking about Arsenal. And I think he's, we are now like an Arsenal. He said, basically, Arsenal now are a team of son-in-laws. We don't have anybody who has that hunger, you know. You know, yeah. we had like, you know, you look at that the first team: the Czech, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Didier Jogba, Michael Essien, Ashley Cole, Michael Ballack. I mean, those players are international captains, world-class players. Mm-hmm. We have world-class players, but there's nobody there who's who's leading from the front. You know, Aspi, you know, he's great, but is he ever vocal? Is he ever getting the referee's face when Hazard gets kicked? You know. John Terry would be the first one at the referee saying, listen, you watch this, you know, he's been kicked twice now, don't, don't let it happen again. He doesn't do it. You know, Louise is the same. Louise, you know, has brain farts and just disappears from time to time. Uh, Jorginho, Kovacic, they're great players, but there's no passion. You know, Hazard, fantastic player, but where's the passion? Where's the desire? Where's the hunger? That's, that's our problem now. We, we, don't have the, we don't have leaders. We don't have anybody who's going to say the team right. We need to do X, Y, Z. No one there. That's the thing. We, you know, that first sort of twelve years up until you know maybe the Europa League win, we had players who get to win things. Even even when Cahill was there, Cahill's a great player, but he's not a leader. Mm-hmm. There's been no kind of future planning for replacing. Listen, John Terry's I mean, arguably once in a lifetime sort of player, but you could you could bring in a, a kind of you know you know uh, you know a John Terry light for the sake of argument who could who could still. You know, have, have a hunger, have a desire, what, what it means to be Chelsea. Because it, it is a big deal. Look at the last 20 years, even, you know, 97 FA Cup, 98 League Cup, Europa League, um, sorry, Cup Winners Cup. We, sh- we shouldn't be where we are now. It's, you know, it's not, it's not great. And there's a, do you blame Bramwich? Do you blame Marina? Do you, who do you blame? Yeah. You know, for, future planning for getting, you know, replacing key players. We haven't replaced Ashley Cole. We haven't really replaced Didier Jogba. You know, Costa, he was here for three years, but if you look at it, he put in a game as a season a bit of true Diego Costa because he wanted to leave every summer or every window. I want to go, I want to go, I don't like it here. <laughs> so yeah. there's a lot of revision there's a lot of revisionist about Diego Costa. He was very good for a season and a bit, but most of the time he you know, he, he didn't want to be here. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's one guy I wanted to point out that he, he's not a player, but I feel like is part of that success and, and kind of uh what do you call that spine that you're talking about, Dan, is is Steve Holland. I feel like after he left, that it was him and Terry that left the same year. It was just kind of like, okay, who's who's going to be that guy that can advise, can speak on behalf of what Chelsea has done That's and advise the manager? Great shout. Great yeah. shout. We're actually saying the pub today about that. We're saying that Holland's gone and he was a phenomenal coach. Mm-hmm. And we missed that. And as much as Zola was a phenomenal player for Chelsea, He's miserably failed as a manager wherever he's been. Now, I've got a friend who's a Birmingham City fan. And he said it was some of the worst football he's seen in, in, in 20 years. Now, Zola's great. We're never, ever knocking for what he did on the pitch. But 
he's, he's almost too nice to be to be a coach. You know, my ideal scenario being, you know, when JT retired, bring him back as a coach, as a number two. You'd want him on your sidelines because he'd be shouting, he'd be on it. You know, I remember on the, on the road to um, Munich in 2012 when he got substituted against Napoli. He was as aggressive as Dimitri on the sideline, he could what to do. So you know, we, I think we missed a trick potentially not getting JT back at, as a as a coach. Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get as lucky as Villa did or Derby County for, yeah. for that matter. But I mean, in fairness, it's too. I think it's too soon. You know, you know Lampard's done. He's had a pretty decent start with Derby, but I wouldn't want to bring Lampard back just yet as mm-hmm. as a number one because he's a very sure far way to kind of you know destroy, not destroy a legacy. That's a bit harsh, but to bring Lampard back now is only really had you know, 30 games. I like to him to have a couple of years, then he get Derby promoted, steady Derby in the Premier League, and then maybe say, you know, bring him back, because he's you know, a Chelsea legend, but he's still not proved himself as a manager. Whereas JT comes as a coach now, he could potentially learn and learn and learn, and then take over in a, you know, in a couple of years' time without ruining a legacy. I mean, d- d- don't don't uh, hate me for mentioning this, but I mean, you you look at coaches like uh, Thierry Henry, who who made the jump right to his boyhood club right away. And Monaco is not a small club by any stretch, mm. and you get the sense that he made the jump too soon. And now look what happened. He lasted what a few months. He couldn't even get him out of the relegation scrap, and then he got the sack. Um, so I I feel like yeah, Dan, you you do have a really good point in saying that. It's good that they're going to these lower leagues and getting the experience and learning the ropes as managers because as players, it's one thing. But you're as a player, I feel like you're only managing yourself on the pitch and maybe your teammates mm-hmm. around you. But as a manager, I mean, you're, you're managing a, a full squad of 24 players day in and day out on a training pitch, on the actual pitch, um, on, on the buses, in the, in the dressing rooms. I mean, there's a lot more that goes to it. And I think having that experience... It's gonna be it's gonna be beneficial for us in the future. Hopefully, 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 we could see Frank mm. Lampard and uh, John Terry combination down in the Chelsea dugout. But yeah. I I want to I want to jump over this Bournemouth match because I'm so fucking done even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. um, let's just get right into the five nil. So Chelsea won today five nil against Huddersfield. We had a lineup of Kepa and goal. Alonso returned on the left hand side, which is interesting. We had Dave on the right. Christensen replacing Rudiger, uh, David Luiz, uh, Jorginho at the base of midfield, N'Golo Kante, Ross Barkley, William Hazard, and Iguain. So, I mean, let, let, let's start with uh, with the story of the match. Gonzalo Iguain. I mean, six shots, two on target, two successful dribbles, two key passes, two aerials won, and two goals. Um, his partnership with Hazard today was absolutely brilliant, and we really got to see what these two could be capable of in the future. So... My question to you guys is, I mean, do you back both of them to continue this run of form heading into the Man City match? Or, or what, what's your general feeling? I think Man City be a real test because Huddersfield have been poor, been very poor for a long time. So it's very difficult to kind of, apart from the positive of 5-0 and take any kind of, you know, what's what I'm looking for? City will be a test because they're better defenders, they're better organised, they're going to be a lot more attacking. And Huddersfield barely... Trouble Kepa. I don't think Kepa had any saves yeah. off the top of my head of any any difficulty. So where we are, we've got a very busy month now. We've got like City twice, you know, the League Cup, the the League game, Tottenham, Man United. I think come the end of the month, then we'll have a really good understanding of where we are in in terms of you know top four. You know, you know United are on our coattails since Mourinho has gone. You know, Spurs are eking out results even without the key players. I think we'll, we'll really understand where we are in, in sort of four weeks' time. I think positives today, 
comprehensive 5-0, some very good performances from players. I thought Barkley had an fa- outstanding game, pushing beyond the lines. I thought Jorginho, given a tiny bit of space, shows influence. The subs were very good. Um, Christensen was outstanding. I thought he looks a lot like the player of you know, the first half of you know, the Conte reign. He was very assured in passing, defending a couple of really good blocks. Higurin was making great movement. Hazard was on fire. So I think purely just kind of erasing the shit show at Bournemouth, I think we couldn't have asked anything better. Uh, uh, Andres, I, I, I want to direct this question towards you now. Um, what did you see from Iguain today that, that we didn't see from Murata? Oh, man. Um, it's a loaded one, I know. Yeah. I, I w- well, first of all, I guess I'd say decisiveness whether that was him committing to a run, even though he might not get the ball. Um, looking to, he, The way he used his body today, I, again, like Dan said, it is Huddersfield, but he was pushing away bigger defenders with his back to goal, which Morata would have been on the ground the moment he felt a chest on his back kind of thing. And then for one, I mean, his first goal was his head was down. Uh, it's that sixth instinct or whatever they call it, sixth sense that, good strikers have where he has a general idea of where the keeper and the goal are and took that shot first time. So he, he was more vocal with his teammates too. Like you see Guain pointing at where he's going to be running and that sort of thing. So I, I just think that well, the well, confidence, he did that for the first goal with Conte, didn't he? he yeah. He, he pointed into that space right in front of him and Conte, that's when Conte slid the ball through. I just think it's that confidence, you know, that he, he makes you feel like, okay, I can trust him with this pass. And and with that, I mean, everybody else is going to be more involved. The other team's going to have to respect his runs. And so it just opens up things for not only himself, but those around him. I mean, this is like, for me at least, while I was watching, this is case in point as to why when we go out and spend big money on strikers, we need to go get somebody proven because they know the ropes and they know what to do in certain situations like Iguain did today, pointing into that space, peeling off the back shoulder of the defender. Now, that first goal that he scored, that wasn't the first time he made that run in that match. He actually made that run two or three more times after that. Um, we didn't get the ball through to him as cleanly, but it was still there, and he was still picking out those spaces in the defense. When we first bought Alvaro Morata, he was never the number one for an extended period of time on any of the teams he's been on. He's always been you know, th- th- that rotational striker that comes in maybe late in games or starts some cut matches, bangs in a few goals, and, and that's it. And that was one of our criticisms when we first got Morata was, okay, is this guy going to be able to cut it as the number one at a major club in England? And clearly he didn't. And now we bring a guy like Iguain in, you know, not considering his age, but somebody that's experienced, that's done it at the highest level over and over and over again. And he's only three games in. He already has two goals. I know his first matches he didn't score, but against Bournemouth in particular, it's something that we didn't talk about yet. I didn't think his movements were that poor against Bournemouth. I thought he got himself into very similar positions that he ha- that he was in today. We just weren't getting the ball to him, and we weren't executing in the final third. So, um, Dan, how do you feel about Iguain, uh in, in terms of a potential transfer? I mean, if let's say by the end of the season he bangs in 10 goals. Would you consider signing him for the 30-plus million fee, or is that a little too steep for someone that's 31? Oh, that's a million-dollar question. Um, I think <laughs> Literally. I think, yeah, literally, I think if he... The, the question is, if you look outside Higuain, who, who in the transfer market we're going to get, who, who one of the top strikers are out there, the thing I like about Higuain is he understands the story. He's played with Sari for a long time, so he can literally come straight in 
although it's not much fit, you can understand the, you know, the sorry methodologies, but there's no top strikers out there we're going to be able to get. So if he gets 10 goals and he's 30 million, yeah, I'd, I'd take, a, take a shot at him. So you can't, you can't Marathi, Marathi's as big as she was, he'd only played 75 starts in his career before he came to Chelsea. She said he's always on the periphery. He wasn't quite the first I think he's very, very well with us. And I think in general, he's has meltdown. I think his best friend got killed in a car crash. So he had, personally, Marat had a very, very tough time. When you put you there, you need a manager to put your arm around you and give you a bit of love. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen. You know, Conley, but then he was just, it, it, it was a bad fit. I think he, you know, he, he lost complete motivation. He's... He's very much a confidence player, I and mean, he had he had zero confidence. I mean, you could see what he could do in times. In, in, in flashes, he was an outstanding striker. He was brilliant mm-hmm. in the air, but he never really kind of fulfilled his potential. And I think you know you probably see maybe he goes back to Spain, a bit more comfortable. He may do well, but he, he go in. He's, he's got a phenomenal scoring record. If he, if he starts well, yeah, yes, I'd sign him. But you know, I'd rather. Well, I was, yeah, I'd sign him. It's if, he, if he gets 10 goals and he gets 20 goals next season and we come, you know, second, third or with a cup, then you've got to say it's worth it. Yeah, I agree. I I think mean, he's, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say this. He, you know, he's, had, he's had a couple of, you know, Bournemouth, awful game, Sheffield Wednesday, was Sheffield Wednesday. I think, like I said, the asset test for us is going to come in the next three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, up against, you know, City twice, up against, you know, United and Spurs. If you come out of that with a couple of goals, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, uh, Huddersfield are going to get relegated. They were awful side. I mean, they were abysmal. Probably were the worst, as I've seen, the bridge for a very long time. I actually thought Forrest was better than uh, Huddersfield. Yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. I mean, they, they showed a bit more going forward. Um, yeah. I thought Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday had more of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do want to switch gears just a little bit. I want to, I want to talk about our best midfielder, and that's N'Golo Kante. So, I mean, today, we've been praising him for weeks on the podcast as being our best midfielder and arguably our best attacking midfielder um, for the entirety of the season. And the stats actually prove it. So, you know, 70 of 77 passes, 91% success rate, four key passes today, two assists, three tackles, an interception. I mean, is there anything the guy can't do? He's been doing this for a few months now. Do we really need to see him play in defensive midfield? Because that seems like a huge, huge talking point um, in, 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 in within the Chelsea fan base right now. Is When we go up against the bigger sides where we're not going to see as much of the ball, does it make sense to drop N'Golo Conte into a deeper position like that? Uh, Andres, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I think, it, like you said, it depends on who we're playing. If we are coming out and pressing high, I think you want Conte to be one of those guys leading the press. But if we are pinned back and it's been that way for a whole half, it's where, you know, where Sarri gets the criticism where he needs to adapt. Like if we're playing City, it's nil-nil at half and they had crazy high amounts of possession. Maybe you you slide Conte a little bit further back or you tell him to worry more about his defensive responsibilities first. But today I thought his passing was amazing. His movement forward was good. I mean, you, you said the numbers, so... I don't know about permanently putting him further back, but as a as an adaption to what is happening in the 90, I think it's it's a good shout. I mean, sorry, alluded to it in uh, it, it was pre-match actually, or no, uh, yesterday I believe, where he spoke about uh, a, about that same issue, and he said the only the only way I could ever use N'Golo Kante in that defensive role 
is for the last 20 minutes of a match. That's the only way I really see it fit. So, Dan, I mean, wh wh where do you stand on this whole situation? I know it's been a, I know it's been a talking point on the fan cast for quite a while now. I think Canton is one of these sort of players that generally wherever he plays, he has, he does a good job. I mean, if my argument would be, you look at Sarri saying that planning isn't working. Well, right now, short term, I would say to Sarri, you go four, two, three, one. You put Canton, drop Canton back to Jorginho, so Canton can do all the work he does best. And then you have three up front and, and Higuain playing as a lone striker. Because what you know right now against you know good sides, they're going to stop Jorginho and we're going to look really like rudderless like we did against Bournemouth. We have no no serious possession in terms of in the offensive third. We you know, left right left right side side. They let us play all we want in the defensive half. And since we look for breakaway, they've got two men behind the ball. I mean. I, Kath is not in his best position, but he's adapted so well to his his role. I mean, he gets forward a lot more. He started scoring goals. I think Kath mm -hmm. is one of these players, you, you know, you, you tend to play quarterback or in goal. He'd, he'd still be fantastic. Yeah. You know, he, but the thing, the thing is, as Sarri said on his press conference, you know, I, I, my philosophy is not going to change. I'm only going to play the way I want to play. I love my football. I love his, his man is Jorginho. Jorginho has to play at the base of the diamond, and if he doesn't get time or the space, then we're going to struggle. You know, wherever you play Kante, if you play him next to Jorginho, I still think there'll be an issue with, you know, the press on Jorginho. Kante may kind of win the ball, but there's still be players around Jorginho. I mean, I mean, I mean, Kante, he's he's great. I mean, Kante just like he's the epitome of a modern footballer. He just gets on with his job, doesn't fuss, doesn't create arguments. He's great. I, lo I love it. I think I love him. I love him playing like he did with Leicester and Chelsea at the base of the midfield and, you know, winning the ball slightly further back rather than higher up the pitch and making us a little bit more counter, you know, counter-attacking. Because, you know, when he was when we were under Conte, he'd win the ball so deep and boom, we'd break, you know, like the wind and we'd be, you know, up the other end very quickly. But I think we need to, you know, <laughs> in, you know Italian football is very different. It's a lot slower, a lot more pedestrian. Mm -hmm. they, you, you kind of watched the, the Napoli team for last season. Yes, the football was very good, but a lot of the Italian defenders were stand off them. Right now, you see the players straight into the faces of um, Jorginho. They press, they press, they press, and we have to turn back. It's, it's a very different football. I mean, if the club are changing the whole structure and they're going to give Sarri time, and the fact they might say, you know what, this season, get top four, maybe a cup, that's what we deem a successful season, then we'll give you the players you want. We could be looking at a very different Chelsea, uh, you know, this this time next season. You know, if 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 we look like we're not getting top four, and do the club, you know, stick or twist? That's a question because we've we've hired and fired some phenomenal managers with great track records of winning stuff. And it's the first time we've taken somebody on board who's got no no real track record of winning stuff. You know, coming second to Juventus is no disgrace, but he hasn't won any cups, hasn't won any leagues, mm. and he's been you know cutting his trade lower down the Italian league. You know what, what does Roman do? As you say, does he stick? Does he twist? Does he give Sarri another season? How important is the Champions League and the money that produces? And for me, if you said to me right now, we'll win the League Cup come fifth, what would you choose? I'd take the League Cup and fifth every day of the week because it's, 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 it's a trophy and it's a whole kind of fourth spot yeah. scenario where it's, it's perceived to be a good season. Well, not really. You, you know, like you're the third runner up. You know, if you the Olympics, you don't get a medal, you know. It's 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 fourth spot. 
yes, the Champions League, but if you might rather see us, you know, like we did last year, come fifth and win the FA Cup. You ask a Spurs fan, what would you rather do? I'm sure they'd rather win an FA Cup and come fifth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, considering that they haven't won shit in God knows how long and probably won't win shit yeah, for or, another Yeah, or let Spurs, they, they, they put it Dan, Dan, you cut out on us. Do you they'll mind starting? Six the, yeah, just Spurs. They'll probably come sixth in a five-horse race, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, 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 think you, I think you actually make a really good point, Dan, in, in talking about the difference between the Italian football and the way Sarri was playing in Italy compared to England because they do close down a lot faster and the game is yeah. a lot more fast-paced. So, I mean, with that being said, the, the, the big question, and I, I guess, you know, we talked about – Iguain's purchase being the million-dollar question. I think this is the real million-dollar question is, will the club actually give him the time he needs? Because in another calculated statement, or at least what I believe is to be a calculated statement, he actually spoke about Pep and Klopp and said that the clubs have given them time. And, and, and they were able to build the squad and, and, and you know, uh, blend in the players that they wanted to blend in um, over a period of a few years. And now look where they are. So I think I think Sarri could definitely do something like that if he's given a time. Now... I know a lot of people talk about, well, he's never won a trophy. How do you know that he could do that? Well, then you look at a match like today. When execution is there, the system is basically flawless. We're creating passing lanes. It's just, it's, it's kind of like Andres talked about it on one of our past podcasts. It's sort of like this vertical version of the Tiki Taka, where we make a lot of quick, short passes, but we play very vertically and very direct in possession. Um, so, I mean, Andres, uh, what do you think is – is this something that we can see come to fruition eventually if he's given the time? Or how confident are you that, that Sarri can get the best out of this team? And let's say if he's given another two years or so. I mean, hey, we would have we probably could have seen better football if he would have had a full summer. So the fact is that he he did take a very counterattacking side and tried to turn them into like a you know possession based attacking team. And we 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 can think all we want, but we don't know how tough that really might be. Um, I think that's why we looked good against City whenever we did kind of play back and then took care of our chances because in the back of their head, these guys have been playing counterattacking football for like the past four seasons. So um, I think Dan's right. If if Sarri wins a trophy, I think he'll be given at least one more full year. And at that point, he would have the, the full summer to prepare the players. He would have potentially some more signings. Um, I think that's where the club also needs to honestly give time and thought to getting a director of football. And I say this every week because if we just let Sari get the exact specialists he wants for this system, then that's still short term because we all know that managers here don't get a 10 year tenure. So if he brings all these specialists and then we bring a manager that's not going to be playing this style of football, then we have a bunch of square pegs for round holes. So which is basically I think what we've been doing for the last line. three or yeah. four years. Exactly. We look at the, the club, you know, you look, you're going back to Carlo Ancelotti, you know, he, he won the league with some, some of the best football I've ever seen in Stamford Bridge. He was offered a pile of shit in terms of strength and squad, and he gets sacked. Mourinho, Mourinho comes back, should have won the league in his first season, maybe decided not to win it. Wins the league second season, asked for X, Y, Z players, gets a pile of shit, and then he's sacked by December. Can't, you know... Um, Conte, sorry, Conte, yeah, I completely forgot. Conte comes back, takes a team that came 10th to win the league with some unbelievable football. I mean, that 5-0 Everton match, some of the greatest football I've ever seen at Stamford Bridge, and that was 
an unbelievable match of football. And he asked for players, he doesn't get what he wants. And then he's probably the first manager to kind of like push back and said, I've had enough and threw his toes out the pram. And then the club completely, completely made a balls up over the summer. They should have got rid of Conte straight off the FA Cup. Yeah, he, he goes back to pre-season, wants to get his payoff, which I totally understand. I've got no issue with that. And, you know, Sarri's parachuted in, you know, five days into pre-season in a World Cup year, has no time to really kind of instill his philosophy into players. We go to Australia on another, you know, money-grabbing whore trip. And we are where we are. You know, the, the, the Chelsea problem is, you look at the, the board, Marina, yep, she's a pretty brilliant negotiator. She's got some great money for some crap players. There's not one single person on the board who gets football, who understands football. Man City have got a phenomenal infrastructure. They've got Tixie, whatever they've got. Look how well City have done. They've, we had five years head start on them in terms of having serious backing. And now we're probably five years behind them. You know, yeah. there's been like a you know a, a ten year switch. Had had we been sensible, had Abramovich had people around him who weren't yes men, because frankly most people around Abramovich were like yes sir, no sir, three bags full sir. If I'll stand up to him and say actually, Roman, you know what, wrong decision. We need this. No one stands up to him. You know, they all they all want their you know multi million pound salaries. You know, oh yes, Roman, yeah, I totally agree, Roman. Great idea, Roman. No, it's a shit idea, Roman. You know, you may have a lot of football knowledge, but no, we need this, we need that. We need to do X, Y, Z. You know, you bring someone like Michael Ballack, who's you know, a German international, absolutely loves Bayern Munich, but the, the, the amount of love he has for Chelsea in a four-year spell is, is unbelievable. All these players that have left Chelsea in the last few years, like Joe Cole, Michael Ballack, Michael Essien, they all come back to Chelsea. Chelsea's a special family, and we haven't taken advantage of any of these players who could do a phenomenal job, you know, don't want them to negotiate contracts, let Marina do that, because Marina's proved herself as being very good at contracts, negotiations, selling players, buying players. Let Michael Ballack tell Griezmann how great Chelsea is, what a wonderful club it is. You know, p- people respect Michael Ballack, what a career he's had. You know, all, all these, Michael Essie and Joe Cole, you know, players respect him, them. They've won cups, they've won leagues, they've played in one, you know, some of the best managers the country's ever seen. Let a director of football come in and sell the club to these players, not some Russian businesswoman who's, you know, whatever, who doesn't it doesn't really get the ethos of being Chelsea. She's very good at her job. I'm not looking at any anywhere at all. But I don't think she truly understands what Chelsea is, what it means to be Chelsea. That's what we're lacking right now. Put that in, I think we we go back to being you know, absolute bastards everyone hates. I mean, I think I think what you're saying has a lot to do with my with my recent struggle with with supporting the club. I mean, I'm always going to support the club no matter what. But in the last maybe year and a half, a- ever since things started to turn sour with Conte, I've I've emotionally disconnected myself from the squad at times. The Bournemouth match, yes, I was angry and I was mad, but I was also numb. And it was a familiar feeling that I felt before. And in a way, I wasn't really too surprised that it happened. After that second goal went in, I went. I, I was thinking to myself, oh, God, there's going to be a third. We, we had no life and absolutely no response. And maybe that has to do with, 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 uh, with the players that are on the squad. Maybe they don't understand Chelsea. Maybe they don't understand going to Bournemouth on a Wednesday night and, 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 and grinding out a result. Um, that does have everything to do with a, with a technical director because 
or I mean, uh, excuse me, a director of football, they go to these players and they don't they don't just study the way they play, but they know these players' personalities as well. And they've been players, and they understand how the player player's mindset works. They could have a few conversations with somebody and immediately is able to tell, yep, they're cut out for the job, or no, they're not. And I'm I'm speaking only in terms uh, uh I'm speaking only in terms of that of that mental ability, that mental strength that they have to go in on a Wednesday night, freezing cold. You know, uh, everything's gone against you. You've gone one nil down. Okay, let's roll up our sleeves and grind out a result. And I don't see any of that in any of our players. And we talked about the fact that we don't have leaders on the squad like we used to under uh, under the, the the early years of Roman. I, yes, I I do think that's an ex- I, I do think that's a big reason why. But at the same time, we have a squad that has two World Cup winners. We have the captain of uh, uh, of the Belgian national team, who, in my opinion, probably should have won the World Cup. I mean, we have massive, huge, huge, huge names in the footballing world, and still yet we're unable to get across that line. Now, that falls on the board. They have to look at that and assess it and think, okay, what are we doing wrong? What is not working in this situation? Why are these players not performing right? Maybe a change needs to happen. I mean, from what I understand, Marina has taken the role of the director of football. I think she absorbed all of the uh, the responsibility. Yeah, Yeah. so – and Dan, you said it. She's not a footballing mind. I mean, no matter what we think of her, she is a great negotiator. She does get the. She does always get the prices she wants. She's a very tough negotiator. She gets the deals she wants. But is she getting the deals that we actually need? And I think that's the important question that needs to be asked. So, I mean, I'm assuming Balak is your shout for director of football. If you if you were the one uh, um, making the call, he, he'd definitely be up there. I think because you don't need to have business knowledge, you just need to say, right, this is Chelsea, this is what it's all about. Yeah. Marina going to talk contracts. You know, there's there's a real disconnect now between kind of the board to the club. I mean, you know, we've we've lost some key players, we lost some key coaches. You know, Jodie Morris has gone. You know, the youth. You know, coincidentally or not, we went at the FA Cup youth yeah. third round for the first time in, you know, at the third third round stage. Now, whether that's because anomaly, I don't know. Roman needs to kind of look at him so I think right okay what did I do right from 2003 to 2013 and what have I done wrong in the last sort of five and a half years yes we've won two titles but I think a lot to do with other other clubs being in transition like Man City have Pep for the first season but they bet they back Pep to the hill he spent 120 million pounds on fullbacks and they're playing some of the best football this country's ever seen they're probably going to win the league again and they're brilliant we we just was was you know we got I said to the pub today we we've got a pound shot Pep as our manager you know he's if he gets the players he wants then we can judge him it's very hard to judge him now when he's playing as you know as you said earlier square pegs round holes yeah there's a massive there's a something's changed in Roman's head I don't, I just don't know since really since Amsterdam when we won the um the Europa League we bought some absolute dross of players I mean we spent thirty million on drink water who's going to cost us 60 million in five years and he it'll cost he's getting five million pounds a game now back of Yoko, i still think could could come good but that's 70 million pounds if you think well we could have bought a world-class midfielder for 70 million pounds and integrated mason mount into the team or given lots of cheap more game time last year you know how, how many managers are we going to go through not give them what they want not support the football people I mean, Conte was a breath of fresh air in his first season. He had a phenomenal record in Juventus. Three leagues in a row. 
wonderful coach, probably one of the best in the world. And then we, we, we shut him from a great height, don't give him anybody he wants because we've got this whole stupid regime that he's over 30, he shouldn't get more than a one-year contract. Players over 30 can still do a job. You know, you, you take each player individually. Just because you're 32 doesn't mean you're not worth a two-year contract. Or you give a, a two-year contract, if you don't perform in season one, it gets to an eight. You know, if Conte was still here, I think we'd, we'd still be thereabouts. But he, he pushed back, he got fed up with the whole thing. He threw his toes out of Pam, which was detriment to the club, obviously. And he, he's gone. You know, we need, we, need, we need to have some kind of plan for the next three to four years, because otherwise we're going to be left way behind the Liverpools, you know, the, the cities and the, I can't say the word, the team that plays at White Hart Lane, can't say it, sorry. You know, we're going to get full behind them. We're going to end up being Arsenal. We're going to be, you know, I think, I don't know if you know Tony Glover, he calls Chelsea Arsenalification, and that's a really good summing up. We're becoming like Arsenal. Yeah. Which is horrendous because we you know we used to batter Arsenal every single season under Wenger, guaranteed at least four or six points. We turn up, we job was smashing out the park, and they they kind of, you know, heads would be down almost. A lot of teams when they came to Chelsea were beaten before they even walked on the pitch. That was the mm-hmm. aura that we had, and now you're like, yeah, it's Chelsea. Yeah. You know, yeah. we might get a result here. Yeah, you heard Eddie Howe. He, he yeah. instantly said, like, oh, I told my players, don't worry about having the ball. Just let's do this and you'll be just fine. It's like that should not be the rhetoric when you're going up against Chelsea, whether home or away. You should be like, oh, shit, we're about to get stomped on. Let's let's just make sure it's just by one goal and not three. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we people feared us. I mean, we, we came in and, you know, broke up the Arsenal United Jopoli. People afraid to plus we went 80, 84 games unbeaten at home. And we, we were, we were ter- even under, you know, Carlo was scoring six, seven, eight, under Car- you know, every, we, we, people feared us. And now we're like, you know, we're, we've gone from, you know, bullies to being bullied. As I think I said after the uh, Bournemouth game on Twitter, we've gone from being, you know, the bullies to be bullied. People just, yeah. we're, we're, we've got a s- soft centre. Yeah, I, I, I was going to talk about that too. We don't. I mean, especially under Jose and and Antonio Conte as well in in recent years, we have been the enforcer on the pitch. We've been the more physical side. No matter what, whether it was a win, loss, or draw on any given day of the week, no other team was going to beat us up physically. And right now, I just don't see anybody in the squad, at least in the first team, that has that ability to just go out there and get stuck in. And show that passion and show that fight and that grit. Rudiger yeah. does it well to a certain extent. The only other player I could really think of is Ethan Ampadu, but he doesn't get any game time. Yeah, and maybe think... you need players like that on the pitch when things are going against you. I wasn't opposed to throwing Ampadu on the pitch against Bournemouth. One, to stop the bleeding because we were so susceptible on the counter. But two, just to get stuck in, just to breathe in a little bit of life. You see an you see a, a 18-year-old walk onto the pitch and fly into a challenge against a grown-ass man and knock him on his ass. That's going to fire you up, isn't it? And yeah. we just don't seem to have those type of players anymore. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. You know, like, you know, today would be a perfect chance to start with Callum because he's, you know, he, he came on, he was hungry, he got excited. I mean, I would start with Callum over William today because it's mm-hmm. Huddersfield. You give him 75, 80 minutes, a bit of confidence. He would have ripped them apart because it's paced in between the lines. But we've got this whole, you know, whether it's, there's an edict from above that Roman said, do this, do that. But then he spent how many minutes in the academy? We'd all love 
academy players to come through and have two or three academy players in the team, but then will managers get the chance? Because what, what Chelsea don't do, they never ever come out and say, you know what, you know, this is the, you know, Sarri's here for the long term, we're going to give him three years, ignore the, ignore the press, ignore the comments, and suddenly the whole kind of dark cloud hanging over Sarri's gone, and he knows that he, unless there's a massive, you know, massive, massive catastrophe, he's got two or three years to do what he wants. And maybe that means a couple of years out of Europe. It didn't affect us when we came 10th because we won the league the next season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there has to come a point where a manager's going to get time, he's going to get a chance to build a philosophy, build some sort of foundations and have three to four years. But then, you know, the, the Arsene Wenger's 22-year kind of scenario is gone because the whole dynamic of football has changed. The, you know, the money you get from coming in the Champions League is, is, is crazy. I mean, the, the difference between Europa League and uh, Champions League is like £35 million, pounds, mm-hmm. which is huge amounts of money. But yeah. we've, got, listen, we've got a great... Steve Atkins, who's the Director of Communications at Chelsea, really bright, eloquent guy. I met him a few times. He, he's really good. He could come out and say, you know what, guys, listen, Maurizio... We're backing him. We want him here for long term. He's got our backing. We may have a one or two seasons of you know mediocrity. We may come fifth. We may come sixth. We may win nothing. We're going to back him on the assumption that in two years' time he'll have his team, he'll have his squad, and we're playing this beautiful football that Napoli played. You know, if they weren't up against arguably the greatest Juventus side of recent memory, he may have won a league. I mean, I think didn't they get like north of ninety points? And still yeah. didn't win the league. That's yeah, and he's kind still of, finishing that, second. Yeah, yeah, that, that you know that shows the levels he's up against. And arguably, look at sort of Man City now. Man City are Juventus. They're going to be 85, 90, 95 points this season, and we're already at points level now. The levels that Mourinho was at when he won the league for the first time, because the the bar just gets raised and raised and raised every season in the Premier League. So we have to not only fight against. City, who are brilliant, and Liverpool, who are you know kind of looking good. Spurs won't go away, so we really now suddenly we're fighting for one spot, fourth spot, which is this this whole you know automatic qualification of the Champions League. Now, what what is more important for the club, you know, building a an ethos, building a brand, or Champions League football? So. I, I do want to move on a little bit. We did get carried away, but Dan, that that, that that's great stuff. Um, I want to I want to get into the Man City preview. So we do play Man City on the tenth, um, and as we're recording right now, Man City is six points above us with a game in hand. Uh, in our last five league matches at the Etihad, were were two wins, one draw, and two losses. So, I mean, I guess the first question, Andres, I'll direct it towards you. Based on the first match, which we obviously won, what do you think we need to do this time around? To, uh, to to get some sort of result. Um. Well, I'm. I don't know. I, I really don't know. So so Pep didn't really do this whole diamond midfield that both Tottenham and Arsenal deployed against us. I'm not sure if he's gonna be naive enough not to do it again, like or to do that instead of what he did against us. I think he has. Time. I think he has too many wingers though. I, I just don't think he has the right squad to do that. Right. Right. I mean. You never know. He's while while Sari has been quoted as like a a tactically stubborn. Pep has been free about changing the formation and all of that, and like week to week. So you never know. But on our end, I, I really just think 
again, kind of how we set up last time, you, you, you have to take the chances that you get against Man City because while we try to be a possession team, they've been doing it now for years and it comes as second nature to them. So whenever a chance comes for Chelsea, they need to capitalize. And it's kind of nice that now we have a forward that seems to do that. So for me, the big thing is that, you know, for, capitalize. And then for our, our, our outside backs to really be aware of their positioning. Because again, in this kind of football we're playing, they, they can move up and overlap and that sort of thing. But you mentioned it. Man City has probably the strongest group of wingers across the board in, in the league right now. Uh, you know, you have Sané, Sterling, Mares, like Bernardo Silva, like take one and you still have three other wingers that can start in two positions. So I, I think that's the big one for the outside backs to really be aware of where they're standing um, in the pitch and then taking taking those counter counterattacking chances and, and executing them because, again, we we probably won't have as much of the ball as we usually do against City. I mean, that's a really good point. The, the last time we played Man City, um, I thought our I thought our build up play out of the back uh, was was absolutely brilliant. I think that was some of the best football we've seen um, in possession for the whole of the season. Uh, Conte was dropping into that space, checking to the ball. Uh, our our fullbacks were getting high and wide. Our wingers were dropping in to create an option. If that if that square ball to Jorginho wasn't there, that second option to clip the ball over the top either to Conte or Pedro or Hazard was always there every single time. I, th I think that's something that we need to absolutely do again in this match. But the first time we played them, Pep didn't necessarily man-mark Jorginho as much as he put a box around him. Um, I, I think he put, what was it, uh, Silva, Sterling... Mares and there was one other player out there. I think it was Fernandinho, where they basically put a, a, a square box right around uh, Jorginho. Anytime he got the ball, they'd completely collapse on him. And he did brilliantly that match in just playing those simple one or two touch passes to get out of pressure. I think that's going to be absolutely crucial this time around. And we know that, like you said, Andres, Pep does change things. And he is very uh, tactically um, um, flexible, if you will. And he's going to look for a way to nullify Jorginho in this game. That's good. That might be a little bit different uh, than that box formation we that, that I just mentioned. So I think that's going to be interesting to look at. Dan, when when you, when we play Man City, what's your main concern in terms of what they offer and how we could stop it? I mean, quite frankly, because I hate Liverpool to the league. I'd rather lose, to be honest, anything more than Liverpool. Um I mean, they're such, they're such a good side. I mean, they're going to get behind the lines. The pace they've got, as you said, they've got Wiggers, Aguero. I mean, if we put in... I'll ask you guys a question. Lose to City in the league, but win the League Cup. Would you accept that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a trophy. Yeah, I'm okay with that. trophy. I think right now, top four won't be dictated by you know, playing City or Liverpool be how we do against the other teams around us. So, and also just from a purely irrational point of view, I hate Liverpool, so I'd much rather lose to City and, you know, keep Liverpool away from winning the league. But I, 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 it's going to be a very tough game. Very, very tough game because, you know, they're, 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 you know, Mendy's back and he's dangerous going down the wing. You've got Carl Walker down the other wing. You've got centre-halves who are going to come out. You know, Fernandinho. I mean, they, they, they were, we were six years ago, world-class players in every position. I mean, De Bruyne, De Bruyne just like, he, he's, he's an unbelievable player. 
he's been on the periphery for most of the season as well, yeah, but had, which is bad, terrifying. He had a bad injury. He had a bad yeah. injury, so he's kind of in and out of the team. Yeah. So you look at De Bruyne. I mean, just he could pick a pass. You know, he could he could, he could put it on the dime so easily. I think. I think we got we'll have a, a very tough match. I mean, we beat them at home. Did very very well. The good thing about Pep is he he will probably be more aggressive in his attacking phase, mm-hmm. and then we might be able to get them on the counter attack. Uh, I, I think if we got a point, we'd be doing well, to be honest, because they are they are a brilliant side. I mean, he's got them playing. He's got them playing the you know the, the Pep fast sail away. Some of the football was amazing. They, it, the, the Newcastle game in the week when they switched off, he's not going to let that happen again. I think they're going to absolutely tear off on a new one tomorrow. Which would yeah. be great because it gives us a bit of breathing space from Arsenal and the whole goal difference thing goes back in our favour. Then I think they've got a relatively easy Champions League match during the week. So that you know, I'm not sure if Liverpool play before or after there, but we, it's a tough game. You know, I think I have to take a point or a defeat and then win the League Cup, then I'd be happy. So uh, what what we normally do on on the podcast, Dan, is. When we do our match uh, previews, we also give our score predictions, but also a bold prediction for the match. So um, I, I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna start with Andres first. Andres, w- give me your uh, score prediction and a bold prediction for this game. Oh God. Okay. Um, I think we'll get a point. I think we're gonna tie, and it's not gonna be. I think it's gonna be two to two, and I think the goal is gonna come from. I think Iguain is gonna get on the board, but not like a beauty of a goal like today. I think it's gonna be a scrappy one. Like I think it's gonna be one of those where. Kind of like a Chicharito style goal where he was just kind of in the right place and oh, you to, had to mention him, huh? Get to sneak you. <clears throat> Not only are we an American podcast, but we're also a Chelsea podcast. And you're gonna mention Chicharito? I'm just saying Josh. he scores ugly goals. <laughs> that's what he's known for. And I think that that's the kind of goal Higuain will Chelsea, get to Chelsea tie it up for to, us. Chelsea need to build a wall, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh Dan, what, what are you thinking for this match? What's your gut feeling? Okay, well my head and my heart. Uh, my heart says we're going to win 2-1. My head says we won City. Wow. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go 1-1, and I'm going to say that Conte has a direct goal involvement. Um, I, th- I think he's been brilliant going forward. He probably should have had one against Bournemouth too on that little flicked ball that Pedro played yeah, into him when it was still yeah. 0-0. But uh, or, or I think it was 1-0 at that point. I forget. It's, uh, but, there's no nil. It was first half. I think it was, yeah. I think it was one, one nil or nil. I remember the one. It's lovely ball at the top. And it was just like a second late from making contact. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's the thing. If it was like a if it was like a more natural number eight, I mean, that, that's going in the back of the net. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. I, I think Conte does get that direct goal involvement. And um, yeah, I mean, th- this kind of brings us to the end of our script at this point. We are running out of time. So Dan, I mean, it was an absolute pleasure Finally, we got you on our yeah, podcast. Yeah, finally, yeah, yeah. No, thank, thank you guys for having me on. I'd love to come on again. It's been, it's been, it's been good fun. It's been very, oh. you know, early amazing. It's always great to chat to my friend. Yeah, we, so, yeah, thank you for having me on. We would absolutely love to have you. And and, and again, I, I know I thanked you a thousand times over, but but thanks for the Tottenham match last year. Yeah, and, just, despite you know, all the, the, the shenanigans we know, even uh, though it was an, went on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, even though we both left the ground extremely pissed off, oh, it, was well, yeah. a, it was still oh, a day oh. to remember. Yeah, I'd like to help you and your other half, you know, enjoy enjoy yourself and, you know, kind of, you know, experience Chelsea. And hopefully you guys will be able to see you for another visit. Yeah, well, definitely. We'll definitely plan on it. Do you do you want to plug in your uh, your, your your Twitter or anything like that? Yeah, if you want to follow me, I'm uh, DanSilv73. 
Uh, a lot of Chelsea, a lot of anti-Liverpool, a lot of anti-Spurs, you know, a lot of hello to my American friends. So I hope you like me. Great content. Great content is what I'm hearing. Amazing content. Yeah. And, and make sure if you guys don't already listen, uh, check out the Chelsea fan cast with Stanford Chidge. Uh, Dan's a regular on that show. They bring in guys like uh, Clayton Bierman. Uh, obviously, Dan's on the show all the time. Um, big, big names every single week. I always listen every single week. That's actually a... Uh, that's actually how I got, you know, my inspiration to start the podcast. So, anyways, before I start rambling on too long, thanks again, Dan. It's lovely to have you. We'd love to have you again sometime. Andre, no. always a pleasure, my friend. Definitely. And uh, until next time, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>